tiredness of PUE. My main reason for not liking it so much is because it's become such a marketing tool and it's very easy to manipulate it in order to get as low of a result as you're after. You're listening to Green IO, the podcast of responsible technologists making our digital world greener, one byte at a time. I'm your host, Gail Duez, and I invite you to meet a wide range of guests working in the tech industry to help you better understand and make sense of its sustainability issues and find inspiration to positively impact our digital world. If you like the podcast, please give it five stars and a nice review on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite platform to spread the word to the millions of people working in the digital sector. And now, enjoy the show. Hello everyone. In this episode, we go to both France to meet Benoit and Sweden, from where we welcome Stanislava to talk about sustainability in the data centers industry. When I first met Benoit in Paris, at a cafe, having a nice lunch under a cool summer day, I know it's cliche, but it's true. He told me a sentence which has stuck in my mind since now on. Does anyone actually read the figures in these reports? And it did so because A, I was actually guilty at that time of over-consuming reports on green IT, a field which I had just discovered, and not paying attention enough to the data and the methodology underlying them. And B, I told myself, whoa, this guy knows what he talks about. And indeed, Benoit, having co-founded both Hublot and the NGO Boavista after almost a decade working as a cloud and sysadmit engineer, knows what he talks about. It's actually pretty easy to double-check because everything he produces is open data and open source, two values he cherishes, but we'll come back to this point later. Stanley was introduced to me thanks to Chris Adams, the director of the Green Web Foundation, when we were discussing life cycle assessment. His word, she is one of the most knowledgeable on this topic. Which makes total sense knowing that after her Master of Science in Industrial Ecology, she joined the Research Institute of Sweden to study, well, LCA, applied to data centers. She has now moved toward an expert lifecycle position at IVL, but stays close to the data center field via her involvement in the SDA, the Sustainable Digital Infrastructure Alliance, among other things. Welcome, Stani and Benoit. Thanks a lot for joining Green.io today. Hi, Gael. Thanks for having us. Hi. So, before jumping into the nitty-gritty of data centers' environmental impact, my first question is always about your personal journey in the sustainability area. So, Stani, how did you become interested in sustainability and in the sustainability of our digital sector in the first place? Uh, so Yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, I think one of the most powerful experiences that actually led me to a joint sustainability field was an exposition that I went to with my high school. And I remember hearing about what issues we're facing and how possibly people in 50 years or so would have to ration water because there would not be enough clean water anymore. And I remember that being very scary and very strange to think of. And potentially that was too powerful to, to do something about at that time. So I sort of let it be. And I started studying international business instead. Uh, but as I was going through all the courses on accounting and finance and marketing, I thought there was something missing to that. And I thought there had to be something more. So that's why I actually selected to follow an elective on sustainable business. And at some point I started to think myself, uh, to think to myself, yes, this is very interesting. This is how things should go. But at the same time, how do I know that what the companies are saying is actually true? How can I verify that they actually are sustainable and it's not just some claims? Uh, so that then led me to the masters that you've already mentioned in the beginning, industrial ecology, where I learned how to quantify this sort of business behavior and impact. Uh, and after a few years of working as a consultant in IE, in industrial ecology, I joined RICE, Research Institutes of Sweden, and that's how I got introduced to the 
data center industry. It was maybe a bit of a coincidence and a happy accident uh, because I was not very involved in that before, but I had worked in technology, so there was an interest. And after that, I've realized that there is so much, it's such a huge heterogeneous industry and so much can be done regarding sustainability on so many different levels. And I'm happy to be still involved. So that's funny because it all started with water. And actually, I believe water is a topic we will discuss regarding sustainability in the data center industry. (laughs) And what about you, Benoit? How did you come involved in sustainability and all this work you've done in Green IT? Um, I can't remember about a very specific event that drove me there. Mm, I think I've worked in IT like many, many other people, not really um, realizing what was behind in terms of impacts because I didn't realize at first um, that the our modern societies had such an impact on the environment and that it was really a problem for the future. So I, I realized that piece by piece, very progressively, and um, I changed many things in my personal life so I, I could feel um, aligned with what we should do for the future. And so I started working on my own thing actually uh, i was working on cloud infrastructures at that time and i i thought okay if i have to start somewhere i should start on my own uh, problems my my own impact so first how is it big uh, how could i evaluate this impact and my first answer was like oh that that seemed like super complicated <laughs> Um, so I, I found um, work from the INRIA, which is a research lab in France. Uh, I found some projects about it, but no, nothing that I could use directly in my uh, own context. So I don't really know why, but uh, rather than staying the company, um, I pretty quickly thought that I had to live and to work on this topic uh, as much as I could. Uh, And so I started um, uh, developing a a software for measuring the power consumption of servers, of IT servers. Then I happened to be uh, discussing with people who were building uh, an ONG uh, from scratch. Uh, So I started discussing discussing with them, and uh, then you have Boavista. Uh, and then later, I realized that there was some demand for the work I've done on uh, on the software. Uh, and then uh, I I said to myself, okay, maybe I there could be a business here, so I could work on this topic one hundred percent of my time, uh, so I don't have to find a new job uh, in like one year. <laughs> Uh, and so you have Hublot, and that, that's how I, I came to the topic. So synchronizing a bit more what you've already started to do in your personal life with what you can do and the expertise you already had in your professional life. Yeah, that's, that was the idea. Okay. And, you know, I spotted very recently a discussion in the climate action tech community about an article that I must admit I forgot the title, who had quite a lot of debate about the number of data centers uh, worldwide. Um, It was stated that we have already 7.2 million data centers worldwide and 3 million in the US. Some people finding it quite consistent, some people finding it completely crazy, uh, this number. And then it connected me with one of the first um, topic we discussed with Tani uh, a few months ago, actually, which was her ontology. Let's define properly what is a data center, what is a hyperscaler, what is an enterprise data center, collocation data center, etc. And I would love, Stani, if you could help us set the stage a bit regarding yeah, the data center landscape. What are we talking about? What are the main numbers? And how would you actually explain this controversy 
regarding the number of data centers, and I will not enter into the other controversy about the number of servers, because I think it will take half a day to talk about this one. <laughs> uh, well, I'll try to do my best. Um, indeed, it's very hard to measure and to count how many data centers there are, because you can have a data center at your own company, which is a very small closet with a few servers. And technically that counts as a data center. But to sort of distinguish between the main groups of data centers, and of course you can complement what I say, Benoit, uh, I would say that you have enterprise data centers, which are the data centers owned by the companies themselves to have their own data on. Uh, then there are collocation data centers, which are such data centers that external companies own. And then if you have the need to store your data somewhere, but you don't want to do it in-house, you rent some space and then you just populate it with your servers and then you store your data there. And finally, uh, you have the so-called hyperscalers, which are the large companies such as Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Microsoft that own their own data centers, even develop their own uh, servers and technology, uh, rent out parts, and are just very big, which is why they're called hyperscalers. And so, depending the definition, the 7.2 millions could make sense or not. I mean, if we picture ourselves a data center being there's massive facilities uh, that you can see uh, from the sky, who, which belongs to uh, Google or Amazon. Obviously, there is not 7.2 millions worldwide. But if you include what you've labeled data enterprise data centers and, and collocation data centers, do you believe such a number could be correct? Yeah, I think it's, it's possible, especially if we think of all the small data centers one rack or two racks, I can imagine it could be that much. Okay, so let's now enter the main topic of our episode today, which is sustainability in data centers. So let's, for the sake of clarity, let's put aside cloud for the moment. I mean, obviously, everything that we're going to start discussing regarding enterprise data centers or collocation data centers will at some point apply to your cloud service providers. However, you don't interact directly with um, metrics or the electricity consumption, et cetera, et cetera. But truth is there are still millions of companies interacting one way or the other with data centers and not having migrated to the public cloud or private cloud or whatever. And my question would be, what can you concretely do when you're in charge of a data center, you're a head of infrastructure, you're obviously a CTO, a CIO, how can you run a greener data center? And maybe, I think, Stanny, once again, you told me once about PUE fatigue, that you were a bit fed up with everything focusing only on PUE. So could you elaborate a bit on what would be your main advices, your main insights on how to green your data center operations? Sure. Uh, so maybe just to mention about this tiredness of PUE, I think my main reason for not liking it so much, it's because it's become such a marketing tool and it's very easy to manipulate it in order to get as low of a result as you're after. And at the same time, it's just a ratio, so it doesn't actually tell you how much power you are consuming. So instead, I've been thinking really how to classify it. You are in this data center industry and what you can do. So I started with the collocation level uh, to think what are the options there? Because the main difference is that you oftentimes do not own the servers. So you cannot do anything regarding lots of the equipment, but you, what you can do is you can ensure that you have a su supply of uh, renewable energy. Ideally, you would be producing it yourself, but if not, then at least you're purchasing it from someone. You could try to motivate your clients to be more efficient, uh, maybe by providing them data on where the majority of uh, energy consumption takes place in real time so that they can adjust it accordingly. 
Then of course you can try to reuse waste heat in lots of different applications uh, in industrial symbiosis. You could decrease your water use, build your building sustainably because that is something you have a lot of power over and reuse as much material as possible, not just in the building, but also in the installations that you do have control over. And then if we go further to the enterprise uh, data center, then of course you have much more possibility to green your data center because then of course you're even running your own servers and you're probably writing your own program. So then you could still follow the previous steps and at the same time you could purchase equipment that can be used longer especially when it comes to servers that contain so many rare earth materials that have a huge impact when it comes to just their mining and production. You could refurbish these servers and then reuse them. Um, what is interesting, I've been hearing how the increase in performance between different generations of servers have, has decreased. So it's possible to refurbish an older server to and almost same performance as the new generation has, and thus avoid purchasing new. Uh, you could try to motivate your IT team to write efficient code. And something that also has a huge impact is to understand what data is essential and needs to be immediately backed up in case something happens and therefore it needs redundancy. And on the other hand, what data can just wait for a few hours if there's a power outage and it does not need this redundancy. Because what we see a lot right now is that data centers are building twice or three times the redundancy, meaning that they have twice or three times the amount of the equipment that they need, just in case there is an outage of power or something other happens. And that is very important in certain cases, let's say if you are a data center behind a hospital, then of course you don't want to lose anything for any time. But if you're just storing email or some pictures, then maybe you can wait for an hour or so before you power everything up again. And when it comes to the hyperscalers, what we already see is that they are trying to even build their own equipment. So I think what they can do on top of all of this is to innovate. Uh, make even better equipment and then actually reuse their own equipment. Uh, because what is slightly sad uh, in my experience is that they oftentimes just donate their own equipment or resell it at some secondary markets. Um, so I think a point of improvement there would be to actually keep it in-house, refurbish it and then use it themselves. Well, that's very interesting because you mentioned not only energy consumption, obviously, which is which is a big part of uh, the environmental impact, but you started to mention minerals, resources at large, water. Are these all the ingredients that come into what is your area of expertise, which is a life cycle assessment? Or is it something a bit different? No, I would say that you expressed it quite correctly. It's all of these bits and pieces and ingredients that all come together. And although at the moment there's this obsession with the energy use, of course, energy use is very important, but I think we shouldn't forget everything else that is involved because at some point those things have a large impact as well. Okay, thanks. That makes total sense. And Benoit, switching to a very operational mode, you recently told me that via Hublot, you run a full LCA for a CTO, but you're under NDA, so we will not mention neither the company nor him. But could you describe a bit what was the process, more specifically the process involving hosting, infrastructure, etc., etc.? Oh, the process works usually if we address this topic at the, uh, the company level, it might take into account the workplace as well. So most of the time, we have like a consultancy role where we uh, try to assess the impacts of IT uh, as a whole in the company. Uh, so this is very um, a manual process. Uh, this is based on LCA principles. Uh, we try to isolate the 
hotspots of impact, so the, the huge parts of the impact, before we can zoom on specific parts um, and try to have a more fine-grained approach. When we realized that the IT services is uh, the, the most important part, which, which is not always the case, then we could assess those impacts not only by, let's say, human-made LCAs, but also with uh, software that could help us to automate the process uh, and uh, make the evaluation easier, repeatable, help the company to be as autonomous as possible and not depending on us to reproduce the evaluation. The idea being that they could evaluate the progress, uh, are, they going, are they going to the right direction or not? And so one of our objectives is to become uh, as useless as possible in this process. So it really depends, but uh, for sure if, if IT services are a big part of the, the topic for this company, then we could help to automate the inventory of the machines, which is very, very often a pain point, uh, because in theory, all companies have a great CMDB that's up to date with all the information about all the hardware involved in the service. Uh, in practice, that's almost never the case. Uh, except a few companies that are very, very cautious about that and very, that put a lot of uh, efforts in this uh, area. Then you have the, the questions of what are the impacts of this service and uh, Stani mentioned, mentioned it. Um, when we are in IT, we think a lot about energy, uh, we think a lot about electricity, but that's just a part of the equation. And to illustrate a bit this point, um, based on what Stanley said, uh, she mentioned like lifetime of the machines, refresh, refresh cycles. Uh, that's something we see often, like companies who say, it's okay, we, we can reduce our energy consumption just by buying new servers um, that are less energy consuming for the same workload uh, as the compared to uh, the previous generation of machines. If you just look at energy consumption, at final energy consumption, that approach might work, maybe, depends, but possible. Uh, but as soon as you try to evaluate and reduce um, the greenhouse gas emissions, uh, then this is much more complicated. Uh, not to say that most of the time it doesn't work. Um, for a very simple reason is that the most of the time the greenhouse gas emissions uh, due to the manufacturing of the, the new machines just jeopardize your attempt to uh, reduce your greenhouse gas emissions on the long run uh, because the manufacturing has a, a huge part uh, and the impact of usage may be um, not that important if you look at the, the manufacturing part. So this is especially true in uh, countries where you are lucky to have a low carbon intensity regarding electricity that you consume. Of course, you, yeah, usage phase will be much more important in countries where the carbon intensity is higher. But yeah, so that the kind of this kind of questions and uh, also uh, how we assess the other impacts, uh, the other criteria impacts, and uh, as Tani mentioned, minerals and metals, that's one, one of them. Going back to what you talked about, the carbon emitted during the manufacturing phase of the equipments, I believe it is called embedded carbon. Where do you get the information? Uh, yeah, that's a whole topic there. Uh, so um, for a long time, it has been, the, you had only one choice, which was do you have access to a database where you have impact uh, factors, so constants that you could apply in your calculations to uh, estimate this part of the impact? This is still the case, but um, I feel like the, the field is evolving piece by piece because before you were forced to uh, pay license fees to get those 
data use data that uh, kind of that was not the best scenario to democratize uh, impact evaluation and uh, uh, involving companies to take action. Uh, so that's one of the topics we worked on uh, in Boavista. And the first uh, attempt we made was to uh, aggregate all the manufacturing impact data we, we could get from the manufacturers. Uh, so it takes the form of uh, an open database now. Basically, we have some scripts uh, uh, scrolling the manufacturer's web pages to get the right uh, PDF files. That's as simple as that. And we aggregate the data in a database that you can query. Uh, so that's interesting and it gives you some insights about, uh, about like, let's say, um, um, orders of magnitude of the impact of manufacturing a server or a laptop or a screen and so on. Uh, but the thing is that you can't really use that database for evaluation because from one product to another, uh, let's say you take a 24 inch screen in, uh, let's say, manufacturer A and a 24 inch screen in manufacturer uh, for manufacturer B. Uh, the methodologies to evaluate the impact are not, most of the time not the same. Uh, so it could be almost the same product. You could have different impacts. And sometimes the, the, the differences are, are huge. Uh, so it's not a, a, a good basis, I guess, to, for evaluation. So we work on, a, on another project, which is an API where we try to have an approach where you are less dependent on databases and how we do that. Uh, it's based on uh, scientific papers, mostly from uh, OCO Institute and Fraunhofer Institute in Germany, where you can have the impact of, uh, of one semiconductor, let's say the smallest unit uh, in terms of manufacturing IT components. So because it's uh, what's inside the component, you can then calculate what's the impact of the component. And then if you can calculate the impact of several components, you can calculate the impact of a machine and so on and so on. So that's a, an open source database as well. Uh, that's an open source API, sorry. Uh, but yeah, so how do you calculate? At some point you need data. Uh, at least what is a bit changing now is that you kind of have it's not perfect yet, but you kind of have access to data without being a consultancy company that has a lot of money to put uh, in acquiring those data. But are you telling me that the only source of open source, open data actually, the only, yeah, the only provider of open data when it comes to embedded carbon is now Boavista with the API? No, I, I wouldn't say that because I don't necessarily know all the initiatives on the topic. There is also, uh, for example, I, I uh, discussed a bit with people from the CEDASI project, uh, who I think have a lot of interesting data as well. Um, I, I didn't see how the, the data is uh, uh, publicized, but... Um, that's like what that's an example um and i think there are other projects on the run so no the, the idea is not to say hey webista uh, is the only uh, way to get uh, open access data and uh, free of uh, um, let's say with um, a free license but to say that uh, it's one of the huge topic at least we encourage other organizations to provide data, we encourage manufacturers to open more data. Uh, because in the beginning, we that, that's a bit silly that uh, you have to build up that kind of project on your own. Like, um, if you have proper regulation, you would have manufacturers uh, providing data on methodologies that we could understand, or that we could uh, verify in some way. Uh, and then we would be super happy and it would be way easier uh, to evaluate the impact of ICT because we would have data from the ground up uh, 
so of course it's not the manufacturer himself who does the evaluation it's a, a company specialized in that topic but uh, it's a company that because it is working with the manufacturer has direct access to all the proxy metrics and insights it needs to make a proper evaluation which is much 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 harder when you try to do it afterwards and you have to work with aggregated data that you don't know the, the source kind of retro engineering the carbon footprint of an equipment once it has been built yeah that's that's a bit about that okay and that being said benoit i have one last question, because there are two things that you say that were really music to my ears. The first one, <laughs> being a bit selfish, is when you mentioned that you want to be as useless as possible as soon as possible when you work with a company. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I say to my clients when I do consulting with them. I want you to make me redundant as much as possible. It's more on the green IT strategy or digital sustainability strategy, but that's something that I was like, you sometimes look at me and say, why? <laughs> and I'm, I'm very happy that, you, that you've got the same pitch because I really believe that this is what a good consultant should be uh, looking at, become redundant as, as soon as possible. Um, but that being said, sorry, it was uh, another topic that I, I really uh, loved is the case for automation. And you mentioned that you try to automate measure as much as possible. Could you drop some names or give us give us an example of how you do that? Yeah, um, what we try to do, uh, so, so that the Boa Vista API, you can find it on GitHub, um, is great to evaluate the impact of manufacturing, especially uh, of the servers, but um, uh, could be some other context as well. And on top of that, we build several tools. So there is a tool uh, called Bow Agents, which uh, is uh, which proposes to scan the hardware of uh, a machine, ask the right questions to the API, and so it aggregates um, the manufacturing impact of this machine as a monitoring metric. So you can get that in your monitoring tools as you use uh, in a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, every company running IT services, they have monitoring. Uh, this agent is also connected to another tool, which is uh, Hublot tool this time, but uh, as always, uh, it's open source, Apache to license, which is a scaphandre. Uh, I think I mentioned this in the, in the beginning of the discussion. Uh, it's about measuring the power uh, and so energy consumption of servers. And so the, the agent, because it's connected to both the API for manufacturing and scaffold for the usage phase, uh, it can aggregate the impact numbers of the machine on the almost the full life cycle because we, we still lack uh, good methodologies and data for, um, let's say, the end of life, for example. Uh, that's something that's missing. On top of that, there, is, there are also other projects. There is a project in Boa Vista called Cloud Scanner that will scan your AWS account for all the EC2 instances uh, and give you an evaluation of the impact, um, including manufacturing, so usage and manufacturing. Uh, this is also based on the API. So that's really an ecosystem um, that's, uh, let's say, a toolbox, and depending on your context, depending if you are on on-premise machines, on cloud services, or something else, uh, you could select one tool or another, or several of them. Uh, we are also working on continuous integration chains uh, for development team. Uh, so you can have in your, let's say, your GitLab CI uh, evaluation of impact for the, the, the products you are developing from to see from one one release to another you seem to have reduced the potential impact of your application uh, when it will be in production uh, or if you have made things worse so that that's an example that's the kind of thing we are it relates to the uh, run the more efficient code that uh, stani mentioned at the very beginning of the episode this CI/CD tool is it the one related to the SDIA? 
Absolutely, that's the project we are building uh, with DSDIA. Uh, so Boavista and DSDIA are talk a lot <laughs> to each other because we really like what they do and uh, I think they like what we do. Uh, and so we work on this topic um, together. I know people that Stani uh, knows, but uh, we, we discovered that thanks to your podcast. <laughs> this is why I love running this podcast. And Stani, do you have maybe a success story or just an example of how using this tool uh, has helped developers or I don't know, an agile team or whatever uh, to reduce their footprint? Uh, unfortunately not. I do not really have any success stories because I think it's pretty small scale so far. Um, but definitely there is a growing interest in knowing the impact of computing and doing something about it. It's just that we're at a pretty early stage, I would say. Gael, uh, could I mention something? I rem I started thinking of this water uh, when Bonoa was talking, but then I didn't want to jump in. Sure. So when it comes to the water usage and the WUE, water usage effectiveness that Benoit has touched upon, I think one of the problems in the ratio itself is that it doesn't tell you how much water is consumed in total. And then similarly, and this is also linked to the LCA methodology, is that even if you knew how much water they consume in total, it's very hard to link it to the location, the region where this happens in all these assessments, because maybe using a huge quantity of water in one country would not be such a problem because they have an abundance of water, while using it somewhere with uh, little water available could be rather critical. So that's another problem that we face. Localization is key. Let's save uh, the last part of the, our discussion to talk about cloud. And I could be a bit the devil advocate here or a bit provocative saying, yeah, but why don't we move everything into the cloud? Because if I read Google, Amazon or Microsoft newspaper, detailing the very same environmental impact that the two of you just mentioned during this episode, it seems to be way more efficient to mutualize everything in big public cloud or hybrid cloud or whatever, rather than running data centers on-premise or even colocation data center. Is it something that you agree with or not? Well, if I sh uh, can start, I would say I don't really agree with it because at the end of the day, uh, a cloud is not really a cloud in the sky. It's actually located somewhere physically. So you can't just move everything to the cloud because still it needs to be built somewhere and it needs to be operated somewhere. What I have read from one of these hyperscalers was that they achieve around 90% emission reduction by moving to cloud. But then when you look into that further, it's because they're comparing this with some average data center with rather low efficiencies and pretty bad en uh, environmental impact. So I think it's not really that a cloud is so good. It's just that they have made the data centers that operate the, this cloud more efficient. So you could stay on a physical data center elsewhere, not on the cloud, and just improve your, your metrics and still have the same impact then as this great cloud so yeah to um jump on this one um i kind of uh, agree with uh, stani and uh, we wrote a blog post in, on the Boavista blog especially on the papers that hyperscalers are showing off regarding the potential of impact reduction when you move your workload from an on-premise data center to to the cloud and yeah the the numbers are calculated on very, very uh, advantageous scenarios. But then there are, there are several variables in this equation, uh, let's say. Uh, so yeah, the, the cloud in, in theory and sometimes in practice can have good parts, uh, good sides, like uh, 
if, uh, you, you mutualize resources for more services, as you mentioned. Uh, you can also, thanks to the APIs and the thing that everything is an API in the cloud, uh, you can use resources exactly when you need it. Uh, that's something that could be done in a non-premise data center, but um, it's sometimes harder because you need you need more R&D and more workforce to build tools that make you control the resources as as finely as uh, it's made in the in the cloud. Uh, so. Uh, so that's, let's say, this advocates for the cloud because you could often see in on-premise data centers having uh, several tens or uh, hundreds of servers running 24-7 uh, because they are waiting for the Black Friday. That's something that you shouldn't have in the cloud because you have all the tools necessary to um, uh, just consume those resources when you need them, when the traffic goes higher. But that's like, let's say, like really the, the technical part. On the other side, uh, moving a workload from on-premise to the cloud, most of the time it doesn't happen in one night. So you have kind of a double run. Uh, your service still runs in the on-premise data centers until it's fully satisfying in the cloud. So you have two services for, for some time, if it lasts uh, long, um, you could just let's say double your impact. So not really what you were looking for in the first place. But let's say, okay, it's not an issue anymore. Uh, we are super effective in moving the workloads in the cloud. Thing is that uh, there is a very different approach from consuming resources in non-premise data centers to consuming them in the cloud. In non-premise data centers, you have to order new machines if you want to deploy a new project. Uh, in the cloud, you just have to click or uh, make an API call, but uh, that's super fast, super easy. Um, I've already been uh, in uh, companies where when we looked at the bills at the end of the, mo of the month, you had clusters of uh, data management that were accounting for, uh, I think it was 15K for the months and it was just a dev environment that has been that was forgotten so this hardly happens in a non-premise data center because uh, deploying resources is much harder uh, so you you remember about it so that's the full story of uh, finops uh, for sure but in terms of uh, environmental impacts it, it has uh, it has some importance as well so today, I guess we can do some evaluations of uh, service on the cloud that happens. We do it, but we do it on, let's say it's a fixed picture. It's like today, the impact of the service is this. Uh, but it's very hard to estimate and to um, show projections on, okay, but now that you are in the cloud, your service will inflate. It will uh, consume more and more resources because uh, people working in your company will have access to those resources very easily and it will open the door for many projects so some of them would be very useful but maybe you would also have new projects just because you can do them so yeah that's a full question that's in my opinion goes way beyond the only evaluation about impact in the cloud and what's the difference between a cloud provider and uh, let's say a more classic hosting scenario. So once again, a multi-criteria approach is needed to answer properly the question. And there is no like simple and straightforward answer. Yeah, multi-criteria so that you don't shift impacts from one uh, area to another. That's one thing, but it's also about consequential approach and consequential analysis and not just analyzing the today's picture of the impact. And that's maybe the hardest part. I, I think maybe even harder than having a, a proper multi-criteria uh, multi approach. It's really yeah this, this dynamic view of the impact and the relation between uh, uh, companies' activity uh, and what the impact will be in the future. If I might add, uh, 
I think what is also very important with these studies and impact and multi-criteria assessments and so on is to be very transparent uh, because we have seen lots of new new reports or new marketing strategies being published but they almost never mention what their assumptions are and of course the results are going to be very different if you assume that you're let's say consuming only green energy and you're very efficient in comparison to if you maybe looked at the slightly more pessimistic scenario. Thank you so much, Stanny, because actually I realized that when we were discussing transparency issues, both regarding the access to open data, but also the access to what methodology has been used, etc., I actually wanted to ask you this question. And also, so thanks a lot for bringing this topic before we close the podcast. And could you maybe provide just one example of an assumption that if you change it, will change dramatically the result? Something that you've noticed uh, in your uh, life as a researcher? Uh, well, for instance, just selecting the source of energy would be would have a very big impact. Even if it was green energy, it could have different impact if it was in different countries. Or for instance, if we look at the collocation data centers and it's quite popular to be examining the impact of the building. You know, you just take a, a flow of concrete in these different databases. And if you know nothing about it, there are so many different flows to choose from which represent different manufacturing practices, different let's say standard of concrete, maybe you have some that is more durable or not. And the difference in results can be huge. They can be tenfold, if not even higher. So that's why it's very important to be able to rather easily find these main assumptions, how, how their study was built, just to understand what the results actually mean and if they are applicable to you or not and if you would reproduce the same study if you would get the same results or not tenfold that was the kind of order of magnitude that i wanted to know and to make sure that i i got it right so yeah that huge impact where regarding your um, your methodology and and the assumptions underlying it okay so thanks a lot both of you you shared already tons of insights, a lot of references. I believe this is going to be one of the, I don't know, top five, if not top three episodes when it comes to the length of the episode notes and all the references that will be put in it. Still, do you have two last references, thought leaders, uh, something that you want to share with uh, the listeners to know a bit better, to understand a bit better about the data center sustainability issues or potential solutions or even uh, in a broader way uh, on the sustainability topics? Maybe in a broader way, uh, I would suggest reading, since I really like reading books. Uh, there are two that I can recommend. The first one is called The Best of Times, The Worst of Times, Futures from Frontiers of Climate Science by Paul Behrens. And what I specifically like about it is that it looks at different topics from both the optimistic and pessimistic perspective, and it gives you lots of references. And the second one, as someone who really likes to understand how things work, there has been a a book uh, written by KTH, the university in Stockholm, called Towards the Energy of the Future. And it tries to explain sort of what the challenges are, what is needed in a pretty low level so that anyone can read it and understand. Yeah, maybe, uh, so not specifically on the cloud, but on the impacts of IT and its role reshaping our societies for a world that's stabilized at 1.5 degrees or less. I mentioned the, the work of Gauthier Roussy, which is a researcher in France. The report he made on uh, challenging the assumptions of positive impact of ICT on the environment. 
Um, especially there are two reports, one from Jay-Z, the other from GSMA. So it's interesting to see that they are very well-written um, uh, papers, peer-reviewed papers of amazing quality that nobody knows about. Uh, but papers from companies who have a clear and uh, evident interest in uh, showing one side of the story uh, has echoes uh, on top of the, the government. So I think it's a really a, a key thing to, to understand. Thanks a lot. That was a lot. I, I think we might, you might even be a direct challenger to the episode with Chris Adams where we had, I don't know, 25 references. I think it was a full episode <laughs> dedicated to what shall I read, what, what shall I learn about the digital sustainability topics. But the good news, as you, as you mentioned, Benoit, is that we have more and more literature. The, the, the topic is getting traction. And hopefully, the scientific-based papers will get more traction rather than, yeah, uh, low-quality, scientifically speaking, uh, communication papers. But so I want to thank both of you. Uh, we covered a lot. Actually, I think we could have uh, spent another hour uh, deep diving on, you know, codes, uh, green coding, uh, um, how you do uh, an LCA, uh, really like hands-on approach, etc. But that that will be a course, that, uh, in RIA course, as you mentioned, Benoit, rather than a, a podcast episode. So thanks a lot, both of you. That was awesome to have you on the show. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for having us. And that's it. Thank you for listening to Green.io. Make sure to subscribe to the mailing list to stay up to date on new episodes. If you enjoyed this one, feel free to share it on social media or with any friends or colleagues who could benefit from it. As a non-profit podcast, we rely on you to spread the word. Last but not the least, if you know someone who would make a great guest, please send them my way so that we can make our digital world greener one bite at a time. <laughs>